We have a little bit of a challenge this morning, at least as far as I'm concerned. I, I think it is much harder to dive bomb into a single text and figure out what it means than to be in a series of texts that are building over time, like we've done with Isaiah chapters 1 through 12 over the last two months. And you kind of always have something from before to latch on to that pulls your mind into what's going on and get your heart engaged in the text. So well, we kind of have that a little bit because we're still in the book of Isaiah. And I also want to admit here, I don't by any means consider myself to have mastered the book of Isaiah. Uh, I am a novice in this prophet's text. You know, I can talk about Isaiah 7 and Emmanuel if I have to off the cuff. But if you say, hey, pastor, tell me about Isaiah 52, I'm going to be like, uh, let's read it. Let's find out what's there. You know, I, I don't have it all in my back pocket. So looking at Isaiah 42 this week was a little bit of an experiment to me. How much have I learned about Isaiah from studying chapter 1 through 12? How much can I put this story into its context? Who might it be talking about when it talks about the chosen one whom God is going to uphold against his enemies? And of course, the answer is Jesus, okay? Of course, the answer is Jesus comes and fulfills all of this. But in Isaiah's day, there are reference points to what he's saying. And the reference point for the book of Isaiah isn't at the front of the book, although the first verse gives you a, a little bit of a hat tip to that. But it's in the middle of the book, chapters 37 to 39, dealing with King Hezekiah who is the good king who repents of the evils of Israel right before God's about to destroy all of Judah and instead receives blessings and wisdom and gets to rebuild pieces of the temple and write part of the book of Proverbs. And he has this amazing result to his trust in his God, right? Uh, but this is all around the war that Assyria in the north is pushing down on Judah, Hezekiah's kingdom, because of their unbelief, because they don't trust in Jesus, because they're worshiping idols on every green hill and under every tree that they can find. And so God has said, I'm going to punish you right up to the very end of it, and then I'll send my Savior to you. Hezekiah fulfills this role, again, as an image, as a type. He's the king who turns to God in prayer and says, save us just like Jesus then does not only for Jerusalem against the nation of Assyria, but for the entire world against the devil and all his hordes of evil. All right. So that story of Hezekiah there is, is the nugget that makes all of it make sense. Huh? And we've spent some time touching on this. We haven't really gone through the story specifically. But at this point, hopefully again, if I say Assyria, uh, or I say maybe Damascus, or I say maybe resin. Well, it gets tougher, doesn't it? Yeah. And if I say some of those names, did you know one of them? Did you kind of have a connection point to Jerusalem or to northern Israel from them? Because uh, that's what helps then when you get to Isaiah 42 and you want to put reference points to some of these things he's talking about. Now, the other thing then that's going to be facing us here in this text, and I think it's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful thing, is the, the relationship between the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, that is that there are three persons who are one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. They're all God, but they're not all each other, okay? That idea, that reality, that truth, 
there's a harmony and a meeting point between that and what you might call, 50 cent word, ecclesiology, uh, the, the knowledge of the church. What do we know about being a congregation of Christians? What are the promises that God has given to us? And specifically, what are the promises he has given to you? And when I say that word you, is both plural and singular at the exact same time. And we're going to find that the promises that are given to you are the promises that are given to Jesus in this text. So to understand what we're about to look at, you have to believe what I said a moment ago at the lectern. That Jesus has chosen you to be one with him. You are him now. You're not his brain. You're not in charge of him. You're the little pinky cell on the very edge of the body of Christ for all you know, but you're in the body of Christ. That's what it means to be the Christian church. You're in the body of the risen man, Jesus Christ. He is risen. And so anything the scripture says to Jesus, it says to you inside of Jesus. This should never be a cause for arrogance, but should always be uh, honestly a seed of joy. Okay, it's a seed of joy and comfort and hope to see, oh, this thing is promising Jesus, that's for me. I get to I get to believe that. Okay? So, that's what we're going to find here now in Isaiah chapter 42. It starts on page 602 of your pew Bible if you'd like to find your way there. Most of the text is in the bullets in this week too, so you can hedge your bets and stay there if you like. Um, but I am going to make those of you who are looking at page 602, we're going to start with the first verse of the previous chapter. I think this is going to help give us some context too, and maybe give you one more kind of tidbit about how to read Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah is less like a, a novel, right? First Samuel is like a novel. It's the story of Saul and David, right? It's, it's, it's a story. It's a narrative. Isaiah has some of that, but it's less like that. And it's more like a book of sermons. Only the sermons aren't 30-minute discourses, expository statements by a man up in front. Uh, each sermon is, is kind of a poem. Not kind of, it's a poem. And they're usually shorter than a full chapter, though sometimes they're longer than a full chapter, and sometimes the chapter breaks are just in the maddest of places. But again, so when you go to Isaiah, you're going to a book of sermons that are also poetry. Again, I compared it earlier today. It's like reading Shakespeare. It really is. It's, if you didn't like Shakespeare, not just because of the arcane language, but because like, what? It's too hard. Hello, Isaiah. It's just kind of the way he talks. Right? Uh, but then this can help you, if you care about it, see what he means. Right? Because poetry, honestly, is beautiful for your heart and soul. The reason people used to watch, excuse me, people used to read poetry before they had so much watching going on in their life. They used to read poetry. You sit down, you read five verses, and then you'd think about it because you weren't sure what it meant. And then you'd maybe 10 minutes later do it again. And we're all like, that's crazy. It'd be so boring, right? Well, what it was was discipline that challenged the mind to grow. Uh, and again, you're going to get some of this reading a book like Isaiah. That's just going to happen, okay? Now, again, today's story, we're trying to introduce you to Isaiah as a whole, dive bombing in, remembering what we learned the last couple of weeks, and now taking on the text with the last verse of the previous poem, okay? 
So what we're looking at first is the end of how the poem before this one started. This is verse 29 of chapter 41. It says, Behold, they are a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. This last poem was all about how Jerusalem and Judah still are in a whole lot of trouble because they're just idolaters. And the problem with idolaters is that they're vapor. They're meaningless. Whatever they build is going to fall down. Whatever they store is going to rot. Whatever their heart trusts in is going to fail them. Idolatry is worthless and deserving of hellfire forever. Amen. That just ended. And then we have our next poem okay so in the context here though judah's in trouble still we're still dealing with hezekiah needing to repent or perhaps his son manessa uh, so the spirit we've been brought to with chapter 42 is one of fear it's one of concern here is a poem about how much danger everybody is in and now there's a poem about the one who's chosen to survive the danger all right that's where verse 40 Chapter 42, verse 1 will start with, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Now, if you go and you study theology at a seminary or maybe go maybe at a Christian bookstore, buy a book on Isaiah, you might find something about the servant songs. The servant songs of Isaiah. There are five of them. This is one. They're all in the back of the book. They focus on this servant of God who's going to act as a savior. Um, You can make a big deal about it, but I'm more interested this morning in the other word that goes with servant. Okay. You got behold my servant and you got behold my chosen. My chosen. Or as I like my new King James here, behold my elect one. The one I've elected, the one I've chosen, which uh, public service announcement, I understand there is a Christian ministries called The Chosen. It's on that you know Netflix thing or something like that. And I've been asked for my opinion about it. I don't know. I've heard mixed reviews. I haven't heard really positive reviews. What you can be certain of it is not what the Bible says. Right? Whatever it is, however much Bible they squeeze in, There's a whole lot of not what the Bible says. And how can you be certain of that? Because it's being mass produced by uh, an industry that hates Christianity. That's why, right? So if you want to watch it, you know, you watch it, I guess. Be discerning. Take some notes. Ask some questions. Did that really happen? Is that really how I see Jesus? Anyhow, the chosen. They're getting the, uh, the idea of the chosen from the Bible. I mean, Jesus is the chosen. That's what it says here again. Behold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. So the text is going to talk about the one God chooses, though. This is where I want you to see that you're also the chosen. From the very start, believe that when you are baptized into Jesus Christ, he is choosing you at that moment. That's what's happening. That's why we do it to babies. You want your baby not to be chosen by Jesus till he's 12 and can decide to be chosen himself? Sure. You know, that's weird. Um, Go for it. Uh, but but we baptize them here. We let our parents say, yes, God, choose my baby. Right? So every baptized Christian is chosen by God to be a Christian. That's the point of the entire thing. And so when you come to a text like this, I want you to see that first, it's going to talk about Jesus. Second, you're inside of Jesus. So it's going to talk about you too. Right? This is good news. It's good news all the way around. So God's saying, look, I'm going to talk about the one I choose. That's Jesus. That's my church. That's my people. I'm going to talk about you. 
I have put my spirit upon him. Now, we're going to see Jesus baptized next week. That'll be his, uh, the text that we remember from the gospel. And you'll see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. Clearly, he has the Holy Spirit. But you got the Holy Spirit too. Not a little fluttery butter feeling in the tummy. But the knowledge of the words of the Bible that you have within you. That at least will enable you to say he is risen. Hallelujah. I mean, if, if you can't say it, you're like, I don't want to say it. Well, then maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, but if you can say it with any kind of intent and belief, well, good, look at you. I have put my spirit upon you. But now here's the thing. This spirit is not going to let you just be. The spirit of Jesus is zealous, huh? a jealous even, a, a envious, active. He doesn't want any other spirits messing with you. He doesn't want any other spirits inhabiting you. He doesn't want them near you unless he sends a ministering angel to protect you. But again, there are, there are wicked spirits out there. There are liars and perverts that are men. And then there are the unseen darknesses and powers that, that hide behind all of this. So understand that because God has put his spirit in you, he has sent you against those powers. I'm not saying go out and look in an alley for a devil. I'm saying just believe it, that wherever you go, God goes. He's right there inside of you in the words that you are baptized, right? I put my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And clearly the resurrection of Jesus Christ has achieved this for all peoples. The nations there, the races, the ethnicities, whatever you want to think about people who don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't smell like you. All of us are born of Adam, and all of us are bought by the death of Jesus Christ. And the dividing wall of hostility that the rest of the world still wants to hold up in the political sphere, that doesn't belong anywhere in Christianity. There's no space for it. This doesn't just go for those who look different, but those who are of different ages, you know, different mindsets, different cultures, different classes, all nations are going to be brought, have been brought, into the justification, the justice of Jesus Christ rising from the dead to restore mankind to a right relationship with God the Father who is our creator. All right? That means that you also will bring forth a testimony of this justification in your life. Your life is this justification. Jesus is present. He's actually your God. He's really in charge. He's set your path before you. He's going to provide for you a life of greater and greater trust in him. And that's going to look like to people around you like you're a just person. That's what it's going to look like. Like you're a good person. Huh? Again, why? Because you're a member of Jesus. He's not going to leave you anything less than this. Does this mean you're going to stop sinning? No, no. Stop, stop being such a ninny-penny Lutheran about things. Okay? And I don't mean, I want you to be Lutherans in the sense of what we say in our confessions. I want to believe that because it's what the Bible says. But some of this like need to always question what we believe, lest we might be wrong someday somewhere, so, somewhere else. Right? We need to back off on that. Right? The idea is for you to know what your Bible says, believe it firmly, and speak a testimony of your life every day to you. So that you remember that God is with you. So that you walk as one who is enlightened and sanctified and has nothing to be afraid of. Fully aware you're going to run into fear. That's the point. You run into the fear and then you say, wait a minute, I'm baptized into Christ. 
Jesus Christ's spirit is within me. I don't know what's going to happen next in this moment that I'm afraid of, but I know God's going to use it. So I'm going to start watching my tongue and ask, what can I do that's wise here? How can I speak that's good? Can I build up my neighbor? Bring forth justice where you are. I hope you're hearing the overlap here, right? And my comment about Lutheran complaining is we tend to not be nuanced about things. So we'll, we'll, one guy will say something we believe and another guy will say something we believe and then they'll argue about it because they think they mean different things and they don't. They mean the same thing. There's a lot of paradox and mystery in Christianity. The body and blood of Jesus is the bread and wine, right? Uh, that's a mystery. That's a paradox. And you got one side of Christianity arguing one side of that argument, another side of Christianity arguing another side of that argument. Lutherans, we do sit here in the middle on that one, and we say we believe both. It's the bread. It's the wine, for sure. Just a meal and remembrance, and yet not just a meal. Not just a meal. More than a meal. The actual body of Jesus. So again, holding nuance here. You are in Jesus. Jesus is the elect. Therefore, you've been elected by God. Uh, verse 2 and 3 are going to be a little bit familiar to you, I hope. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Isn't it good to know you have a king who, when he sees you and you look like a little sputtering flame about to go out, doesn't say, ah, that useless flame, I'm going to brush it out. Instead, he fans it into a fire. He adds more oil. He tills the soil around. He waters the seed. He intends for you to grow. That's who your God is. That's the good news of Jesus' resurrection. He's not letting go of you. You're his chosen. Okay? But now here, he's the chosen one to be the one choosing you. And his doing so will be such that no matter how weak you are, he is strong enough to hold you true. He will not, verse 4, grow faint or be discouraged. Can you imagine walking the road to the cross? I'd be discouraged by that point. I'd be kind of done. Yeah, Jesus, I mean, he's the one in charge. Jesus, I don't want this road. He walked that road, he prayed the prayer, let it pass, and yet he was not unwilling to endure all of that. He did not grow faint-hearted or discouraged, but prayed the Psalter with loud voice all the way through. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is an entire psalm, it's Psalm 22. And it's not really sad, it's actually a, a cry of vindication when you get to the end of it. Now, Jesus did that, He's, and he will not grow faint or discouraged till he establishes justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So understand that future tense being both about the life of the world to come when he returns, but also about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. You're the coastlands. You're the people from far away. You don't belong in Jerusalem or Bethlehem. And yet here you are with the reign of Jesus Christ, the word of God, which is the Holy Spirit, coming to you to transform your mind, to renew you so that you'll see your God doesn't get faint or discouraged when it comes to what he's doing for you. And when you believe that, you'll be just a touch less faint and discouraged yourself. Because you'll know he's for you. He's standing right there behind you. As discouraged as you might be, it'd be a lot worse if he were there. Yeah? What a God we have. Verse 5, thus says Jesus Christ. Okay, so verse 5 is poetry here. Mentioned the poetry stuff. We just had a big statement about the chosen one. 
poetry here. There's just a, a, a statement about who's talking. And it's kind of like when you have a king and all his titles, right? Here is King Charles, protector of the blah, blah, blah. Okay. It's kind of like that. We're going to have a number of titles for God. Thus says God, the Lord, title number one, who created the heavens and stretched out the earth, title number two, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, title number three, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. You could spend time on each of those titles asking, what does that mean? We're not going to do that this morning. Just know God He's talking now, okay? He's going to say something next. Verse 6, I am the Lord, he says. First thing, his name, which I do encourage you when you read your Bible to read Jesus Christ there. I am Jesus Christ. Uh, There are times when that won't make as much sense. And this text actually is one where this could be the Father. This could be the Spirit. Either one of them talking to Jesus, And in one sense, that is what the text says. But remember, we've got this mystery going on where Jesus is also talking to you because you're inside of him. So everything he's going to say here, first, is the Father talking to Jesus. Second, is Jesus talking to you. He starts by insisting who he is, his holy name, that he is great and powerful, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then, I am Jesus Christ, he says, I have called you. There it is. Church, right? Church, called out. You are chosen. I have called you in righteousness. That's what justification by grace through faith means, that you're righteous now. You were bent and crooked, now you're not. Now you're straight and upright, right? I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. That's a promise from Jesus to you. Hold on to it tightly. Know that it's true. It is the gospel. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. Oh my, that sounds like a bit more than I'm up for. I don't think I'm supposed to be a covenant to the people or a light to the nations. Is this still about me? Is this still about us? And the answer here again is the mystery, right? Who is the ultimate covenant to the peoples? Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood. That's the new covenant. Yeah. Are you part of that covenant? Are you part of that covenant? Yes. Yes. Well, then you are part of the covenant of the people right now. You are the body of Christ gathered around his holy supper right now. So this is spoken to you about right now. Right now, you are a light to the nation. There's a bunch of people not here this morning. They're all over the place doing a million other things and not worshiping Jesus. You're a light to them right now, just sitting here. Because of yourselves? No, because you're in Jesus, because he's a light to us. Because his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Because he, he makes the way known before it takes, it takes place. He, he tells us the way we should go. And his word always proves true. Yeah. So that's who he is in our midst. To open the eyes that are blind, verse 7. Right. Jesus, of course, actually did this. Opened blind eyes. But how are the eyes of your heart? How do they compare to how they used to be? Do you grow in wisdom and insight from the scriptures? Don't you see more than you did once upon a time? Yeah? Aren't you able to see though you were blind? I mean, you sing amazing grace, right? Yeah? To bring the prisoners out from the dungeon. Again, this is Jesus dealing with death and sin and the dungeon of our own minds. 
from the prison, those who sit in darkness, as those who live in a world where there is no word of God. Jesus has done this again once and for all at his resurrection. But that reality inside of you now continues to do it for you. So every day you wake up from darkness. Every day you wake up from darkness. And Jesus shines on you. He illuminates you. He brings light into your eyes so that you can walk to wherever you need to walk. And when you are wise, you remember that before you go too far. And you ask him to lead you in that. You ask him to to give you the steps that will be of benefit to you, that will keep you in the faith. But nonetheless, he shines on you. He shines on you and he leads you and he brings you back to his word. That's why the third commandment is the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Go to church every week. Why? So he can shine on you. So he can fill you. So he can give you fuel to fight back against all of the liars that are peddling all of the myths and lies that all the demons want everybody to believe so they'll keep running every which way and not paying attention to the light. Again, the whole package now. Chapter 42, verses 1 to 7. We're going to stop right there. Yeah, Chapter 42, 1 to 7. The whole package though. God has chosen and elected Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And anyone who's in him is now that promise too, as experience. Which isn't to say you're the Savior, it's you're the saved. You're the one who gets to believe that God is with you. While your neighbor is living in fear, you get to live with a certain confidence. And you get to go and say to your neighbor, have you prayed about that yet? Have you asked Jesus for this yet? Have you ever read the Bible yet? It's that easy, really. It's that hard, I understand. The last thing I want you to take from this sermon is some sort of browbeating about how you need to go do anything. That's not where I'm at. What I want you to know is that wherever you go, God is with you, saying to you, you're my chosen one. You're my chosen one. You're my chosen one. And I'd like you to ask him to have you hear it so that you're So your soul can be well wherever you go. In the name of Jesus, amen.